Well, hello again. This is Calvin Wayne Pennywell Jr. I am starting for this week. It'll be episode eight of the Glory in Our Stories. Again, this is an opportunity for me to introduce um, some very interesting people to the community. If you haven't heard of them already, um, this week I will be having an interview with uh, somebody that I've met about a couple of years ago, uh, Pastor Nick. Carnes of New Passion uh, Church in Grovetown. Is that Grovetown? Yeah. As far as district? Grovetown, yeah. Uh, Grovetown, Grove, Grovetown, Georgia. Um, I, if you, Grovetown in, in itself is a, is a town that's on the up and coming as, as much as I've learned. I've, I've been through Grovetown so many times. I've been here. I went here to go to school for about seven years. But it wasn't until, um, I want to say early 2000s that I heard about Grove Town. Because we used to, my mom and my sisters and I used to travel down to Augusta all the time, but we never saw Grove Town. Yeah. And um, it's, it looks like it's, it's a place that stands on its own. Because right. you have Grove Town, you have Evans, and you go to Augusta, it's just this, it looks like almost a utopia, so to, so to speak. I know that's an over-exaggeration, but... Um, but the reason I met I met Nick about a, like I said about a couple of years ago, I was in college and I was looking for a church to visit. Um, Adrian Fernandez, my girlfriend, um, told me about uh, New Passion. I was like, oh, this big. Uh, I think it'd be a good good start because I actually wasn't attending um, church consistently uh, for my own personal reasons, which I get into uh, later. But after coming to your church, and I was in my mid-twenties, and I realized that what I was hungry for when it came to attending a church was truth. Because at this point in my life, um, the analogy that I use is I, wasn't, I was no longer hungry for milk. I wanted meat. I wanted substance. I wanted spiritual protein. So I came from uh, First Assembly of God in Thompson. Uh, it was a former pastor, Pastor David Braxton. He had moved to uh, Virginia, him and his family, and then they moved back down to Columbia. But I haven't actually been to church consistently since then. And when I first went to one of your services, what really caught my attention was how laid back you all were, how down to earth, relaxed. And I was like, wow, this is a very nice and comfortable environment. So... I wanted to take this opportunity not only for me to learn more about you, but everyone else. Sure. So, um, first question will be um, if you could introduce yourself as well as tell us more about your upbringing sure. and what brought you here to Sure. Well, down. first of all, I appreciate the opportunity to share a little more about myself and taking this opportunity and um, also to just interact with you a little more. and. Uh, as you said, my name is Nick Carnes, and um, I was raised in the Augusta, Georgia, CSRA area, so this has pretty much been the majority of my life I've been here in this area or very close to it. Um, I was raised in a Christian home um, with a dad as a pastor, um, and he pretty much was kind of um, like an interim pastor would be for a lot of churches, so mm -hmm. they are you know, without a pastor and looking for someone, then they need someone to kind of fill that spot for a time. So he would go in sometimes for a week, sometimes for an extended amount of time. And so we would go and it could be on a Sunday morning, we'd wake up real early and we would travel um, 
two hours, whatever that was, to be at a church on that Sunday morning. And so I grew up being at different churches. I mean, we had a, a church home, yeah. but we would go and we would be in strangers' homes during the, the afternoon, eating lunch, taking naps, hanging out until the evening service. And so it was kind of, you know, you just kind of got used to that. Yeah. And so that was kind of my upbringing, um, kind of a nomadic upbringing because yeah. we moved 13 times in 17 years of my life. About 17 years old, I ended up going between two aunts. My parents, because of work, moved to Kentucky. Well, first to uh, um, Columbus, Georgia, mm-hmm. and then to Kentucky. And I was in my senior year of high school, and I wanted to finish school here. So two of my aunts brought me in, and because of their situation, I moved between you know between them um, during certain parts of the week. Mm-hmm. And so... Um, just got to the place where once I grew up, I didn't want that anymore. You know, so I, I don't move like that anymore. But really, the the benefit of that was being able to experience really within community um, the different cultures and ethnicities and just the the different people within one community within within one city. Yeah. Um, I've lived in just about every county in the Augusta CSRA area, whether it's Richmond or Columbia, Aiken, Edgefield County. Uh, we, we moved just so much. We moved as far as Bainbridge, Georgia for eight months and then Barnwell, South Carolina for a couple of years. Um, yeah. That was one of the, the areas we were in kind of the longest, which was unique for us. And so um, I, I was able to live in Harrisburg, um, part of Augusta. And so that my, my two sisters, my brother and myself, we were the only white kids on our street. And so that was, you know, different than what a lot of people get to experience. Yeah. Um, I went to a school probably about my eighth grade up to my 11th grade year that was very racially and eth- ethnically um, diverse. Um, so you had people who had a very southern draw, wearing western clothes, love country music. Mm-hmm. You had those that were into the grunge and the really the hardcore, you know, rock. And then you had those into hip hop and and mm-hmm. rap. And then um, our principal, we had a principal at the time that was actually from Nigeria. Um, so it was very different, but yet we were like family. Um, we were there for four years, and that was probably. You know, I had the, the longest tenure there, and yet there was not these divisions. There were not these, um, you know, everyone out against one another. There was, you know, people argue and got into it, but it was more like family. You, yeah. you made up and you just had friendships. And so that was probably one of the, the best times of my life growing up because there was some stability there. Um, and you just I've built some really close relationships. And thanks to Facebook, I'm now able to reconnect with some of them, and we're still friends. Mm-hmm. Uh, and some of them have even come to New Passion and knew they'd be accepted and welcome because that's, the, that's just the community we had. That was the friendships we had. And so that, that's been really neat to see some of that play out. But I definitely understand we're, we're in a military community, you know, yeah. Grovetown. That's one of the reasons it's booming is because of the military and the cyber command coming this way. And so I definitely understand the, the challenges that a lot of military families face, even though I wasn't military, just because of moving. Yeah. You know, some of those families, they enjoy uh, going and experiencing different places because of the um, PCSing and the relocating but there's also that challenge and that tension that they face of not having close community and having to meet new people. And so it's real easy to just detach. And yeah. so I, I understand that because I can detach from relationships and people easily. 
And in some ways that can be a good thing because wherever God sends you or, yeah. you know, you have to go, that's good. You can just kind of go and, but it's not always healthy personally. It's not always healthy you know, spiritually because you need that community. And so that, that's a little bit of my, you know, kind of my upbringing, just very nomadic, very, um, very diverse and very different. Um, and so it had its challenges, but there was also blessings, you know, along with that. And it's funny because the, the more you talk, and I was like, that is, that sounds like a military lifestyle. Right. And I know a lot of people would say, well, like, like Adrian, um, her parents moved around a lot and still are. And she said one thing, it's funny you, you mentioned the, the, the downside of moving around a lot. You don't get an opportunity to create um, a circle or some form of consistency and connections with people. And but and with some of the people, it, it can be a very sensitive um, concept because it's very difficult to disconnect right. from people. But the more you, the older you get, and the more experience you get into it, I see that it's it's necessary. It comes with. The, uh, the territory like it, it just happens right. you may not like it but it does come as a as an effect of what you have to do it's more of a necessary evil yes you, know, you just you have to and I'm pretty certain and I think that's the benefit of, of your, your church members because they know that you understand that like you said and they can come to a place where they feel like they can actually connect with people and if they have to leave it's not like it's completely severed right. because that's something that you don't do. And, and uh, representing that in the position that you are helps a lot. And I've, I've never been in a situation where I had to move a lot. I don't think I've only moved like maybe three times. But it does give an advantage in your part because you understand different aspects and different mindsets and different perspectives. Um, I think a problem is some... Some pastors, not let alone people, are very one-sided about something, and they don't understand the other um, point of view. Right. And but due to you being basically everywhere, that helps not just you, but the people that you interact with, especially your congregation. Right, and and I think that's you know you don't understand that growing up, but then looking back, you can see God's providence in that. That he's now I'm in a military community, yeah. and so you know it's like why did I have to move so much growing up? And then now yeah. you look at it, it's like okay, you know I can see how those pieces of the puzzle were coming together, mm-hmm. and that has shaped me to be you know hopefully a better pastor to my people. Yeah. Um, were you were you married during this time? At some point, when you were moving a lot, or no, we much after no, and that was really pretty much after we um, Nikki and I have moved three times, mm-hmm. but that has really been spaced six years apart. So we got um, we got married, and the home I was living in, we were there for six years, and mm-hmm. really we were moving because of my own work, yeah. and then um, but also then family size. And so really at 17 was when I moved out for the final, you know, I moved out, mm-hmm. moved in with my aunts, Moved back home one time because of work. My parents came back here for another short stint. Mm-hmm. Then they went to Kentucky, and then I moved. I got my own apartment, and then from there, um, bought my first house at 19. Uh, was working in Aiken, and so had to because of my job. They wanted me in a certain place, so I, mm-hmm. I so I bought the house, um, my first house, and I was there for six years. Nikki and I got married then, yeah. and then had our let's see, I guess our first child maybe Tristan was born there 
and then we moved, really rented from my aunt in Evans, and then stayed there for six, maybe going on seven years, until we moved into Grovetown, where we, you know, started the church, because that's really, once we started the church, that's where we wanted to be, Yeah. and so, you know, I've got my, like my oldest sister, her son does some golf stuff, so they're constantly traveling, constantly moving, and I'm like, I'm, I'm glad I'm out of that, <laughs> to plant some roots finally, um, you know, we, we've been at our current place probably four years now, going on five, so mm-hmm. it's, you know, got some stability finally. So being, getting married at basically a teenager, how, right. how was that? It was challenging. Yeah, we, I was, Nikki had just turned 18. Mm-hmm. Um, I was 19, almost 20. Um, and so I, I tell young people all the time, I got married young and dumb. Um, <laughs> so, you know, go experience life and the world and do the things that you want to do. Yeah. Not that I would change anything, mm-hmm. but, you know, I, I, sell, I, saw, I saw something the other day. It was talking about, you know, the... Uh, People think it's a negative thing that you're married to one person for the rest of your life, yeah. and really you're not. Um, you you change so much; yeah. it's a pursuit, and so it was challenging because both of us, as young people, brought our own baggage, our own challenges into the marriage, mm-hmm. and then uh, you just had to learn to adjust with that. And so we we have some friends who got married at the same age frame time frame within a year or two of us. And, um, you know, two of three of my friends didn't, you know, they didn't make it. And so it was very challenging. Nikki and I, you know, um, don't really have the time to go into all that, but we almost didn't make it. Um, and it was really by the grace of God that we're, you know, married for 16 years, 17 years in November, um, and have three children. So, but it was not easy, was not easy at all. And so, yes, I would encourage young people to go to college, get their education, travel the world, whatever they want to do. Not that you can't do that married, yeah. but it's a, it's a lot more challenging because you're working, paying bills. It, it just, there's, there's a level to it that the dynamics change. Mm-hmm. And what happens is when you get married very young, it's, at some point you're like, well, I didn't get to experience being single. I didn't get to experience these things that I see my single friends doing. Yeah. And that temptation lures you away. And all of a sudden this lifelong commitment you made is no longer as valuable as what you think you're missing. Mm-hmm. And so there, there are sacrifices you have to make. And so if you're getting married that young, you have to count the cost ahead and say, is this person worth giving that up for? And, you know, that's where that sacrifice comes in of I'm going to die to myself so that I can, you know, serve my wife and I can provide for her and then children and, you know, so on and, you know, beyond that. Now, would you, would you suggest premarital counseling? Absolutely. In fact, I have um, gotten a lot of calls from people who want me to, you know, officiate their wedding because... Mm -hmm. They may go to a church somewhere else, and their pastor requires that. And I guess they think maybe because we have a relationship, yeah. you know, that they... So there have been some cases early on, especially, where I didn't necessarily require it. Um, mm-hmm. I'm getting to that place, though, that I... I mean, unless I really know the couple, and I know that they've, you know, are maybe a little more prepared. But even then, uh, it's it's valuable. It's very valuable. And it is eye-opening to a lot of couples who think, oh, I'm ready, uh, you know... Yeah. Had a good marriage growing up with my parents seeing that, and it's a totally different dynamic. And there's even some there's some great tests out there that you can give them, and they answer them. And when you 
put that side by side because they're doing it separate mm-hmm. to what they think as far as disciplining children or you know conflict resolution, and then they see that side by side, you can see how different they are. And those are things they're not sitting around talking about. And yeah. then all of a sudden you make them take a test and say, okay, well, this is what you think and this is what you think. And then it's like, oh, wow, we're, we're on t- two totally different pages. <laughs> so it's very valuable. And um, I'm now part of a group that does some online testing and stuff where you can make those assessments a lot easier for couples. Now, have you ever come across, which you probably did, um, couples where at that moment they realized this might not be a good idea? And if, if so, what would... What was your advice to them? I haven't, um, but I would openly say, you know, if, if there's so many differences, especially in that part, because part of that counseling is helping them come up with a plan and, and a resolution to that. You know, mm-hmm. not everybody's going to fully agree on everything. But, yeah. You know, my wife and I don't. It's the greatest myth of love is that if you love someone, you've got to fully agree with them. Mm-hmm. Uh, but you also have to understand compromise and understand what can be compromised on what can't and those type things. So there's a lot of preference things. And so if I see that there's no really bending in that mm-hmm. aspect, absolutely. You know, my, my job is to, you know, uh, make sure that when people get married, it's for life and that it's, you know, it's a covenant, not a contract. And so with that, you know, I would pull myself out um, to say, hey, my advice is that y'all don't get married and I don't feel right, you know, officiating that um, because I don't see success. And and that's just the difficult thing as a pastor to have to, you know, kind of take that approach. However, I would have to for integrity purposes. Mm-hmm. Um, because if I don't feel that they're going to be successful based on what I'm seeing in counseling, mm-hmm. then I just, with good conscience, could not complete that. And I realized while you were saying that, that you have a a spiritual obligation right. to not validate that. Right. And having that helps not just you, but helps a potential uh, bad marriage. Right. And... um for my friends, most of them have been married longer than maybe five years at the most. And they they got married maybe like early 20s, mid-20s. And all of them say the exact same thing you say. And they say, man, if you have an opportunity, do what you can right now while you're single and try to figure things out before you step into this. And I actually ran into a friend at TJ Maxx and... Of course, when you're single, your other friends always ask you the same questions. Are you, are you married? Do you have any kids? And I'm like, no, I don't. And one thing he said before he left, he said, um, marriage is not for, he said, marriage is not for punks. And he said this with a smile. And I know he, <laughs> I know he meant that because everybody's been saying the same thing. It's like this, it, it is, it's, it's not as um, sensationalized as, you know, television shows or anybody else makes it out to be it's, right. an actual, it's an actual struggle but it doesn't have to be all the time it just depends on what your motives are right. and I've learned that like for myself my parents divorced before I think I was born so the concept of marriage for me was created by something that I've seen right. but it wasn't anything that I actually saw firsthand. like what a father is supposed to do, or let alone a husband, or what a mother, let alone a wife. And 
it gets to the point where you have to ask yourself, so what, how do I, how do I know? And thankfully, God has blessed me with certain people in my life who aren't perfect, but they will tell you this is, this may happen or that may happen, but you have to make sure that you take the the proper steps before you make your final decision because there's two people involved in this, and then that two may they one day may become three and three become four and your children become involved. So this is this is a, something that you really have to consider. Um, segue into another question. Sure. Um, Charles Stanley, his son, I forgot his name. Andy. Andy, Andy Stanley. Mm -hmm. He mentioned that I think he said he wanted to start a church and his wife left him. And she was very upset about that decision, but he he decided to do that anyway. And I'm just curious as to not to say that that was a possibility for you all, but I know it's challenging uh, being married, having kids, but starting, going into the ministry. Right. How has that been for you as, in, as far as involving your family and your, and your wife? Yeah, and I think it was actually Charles Stanley's wife divorced oh, him. Was him. Yeah, and okay. Andy, but Andy was a part of that, oh, you know, okay. being yeah. as a child. Yeah. He was a part of that. And there was some, um, and he speaks about this in his book, Deep and Wide, mm -hmm. um, but there was some, it, it brought a rift into even the relationship between Andy and his dad. Oh, and wow. but Which brings to, you know, to light the very advice that I received before starting a church, that if your wife's not on board with you, don't do it. Um, because it is, you know, it's one of those you know, I grew up in a in a different environment that taught, you know, essentially that the man leads the way and the wife yeah. needs to submit and follow. And and yes, I believe there's headship and there's things like that. But I also believe that, you know, marriage is us walking side by side. Mm -hmm. There are times that I, as the husband, have to say, this is the direction that we're going. Um, but for the most part, she is an equal you know, for the, all the parts, she's an equal part of that marriage. And mm -hmm. she's not, I don't walk on her and I don't dictate to her yeah. um, and so if, if she's not on board you know God can speak to her and move in her just as much as you know he does in me mm -hmm. so really you know starting the church goes back to really my childhood being raised in a Christian home with my dad we were a part of a church actually it's where my wife grew up I was there for a short period of time as I've shared <laughs> and so that church was really great about getting people involved in ministry and really where Timothy says, don't let people look down on you because of your age. They didn't. And so at 11, 12 years old, I was able to serve in ministry. And one of those ministries was the, um, what they called migrant ministry. And mm -hmm. so my dad would go on Tuesdays to like Johnson, South Carolina to some of the fields there. And he and the group of men would go and share the gospel with the migrant workers in Johnston. Yeah. And then on Saturdays, not every Saturday, but uh, one, at least once a month, they would go down into South Georgia towards Florida where some of the Hispanic uh, migrant workers would come up and work the Vidalia onion fields. Mm -hmm. So as a young person, I was able to go with him, and I couldn't speak Spanish at that point real well, nor can I even today, even though I took it. Yeah. Um, and so there's a guy named Jerry and myself, and we would go through and we would go share um, the gospel. You know, we'd go knock on doors to, of the, the trailers that they would, you know, they would work in or they would live in multiple families. 
and my dad could speak Spanish enough to share the gospel. So what they tried to do is all the, the, the families who spoke only Spanish, they would try to get them into the kitchen where he would almost have a church service. Mm-hmm. Jerry and I would go around to anyone who spoke English, and we would share the gospel. And this was 12 years old. And then between 12 and 13, I was also able to work on a, uh, the bus ministry where they would go into um, the different parts of North Augusta and they would pick up children and bring them to church. Essentially, it was a lot of the parents who didn't want to come, but they would send their children to church. Yeah. And so we would bring them to church. And so I'm able to do this at a young age. And I, you know, I constantly tell people that part of our discipleship is doing actually doing what the Bible tells us to do. Yeah. And I believe at a young age I was able to experience true Christianity because I'm I'm being taught to serve the poor and to go out and to minister to the poor and to share the gospel even at a young age. Mm-hmm. Not someone saying, Oh, you're too young. And I remember at twelve years old sitting in living rooms in migrant fields, you know, I didn't have a dad saying, Oh, that's dangerous. Um <laughs> it was it was well, you know, I was with another adult, but still um, sitting in the living room as a 12-year-old, sharing the gospel with uh, Hispanic families, um, working migrant fields, and having them, you know, profess a faith in Jesus, knowing that we would probably never see them again because they would move from field to field. That was one opportunity to be able to share the gospel and to see people come to Christ. And so I remember in that time frame, at 12 years old, being just woken up in the middle of the night and not an audible voice. I know it kind of sounds weird for people outside the church, this, you know, God calling, but it was like this voice, you know, inside of me, you know, telling me, I want you to preach. And at that time at the church we were in, that was the kind of the only terminology I had to grasp onto. It was, it was always, you know, being called to preach. And Mm -hmm. so that was all I knew and so as a 12-year-old, I remember being so scared for two weeks. I mean, I waking up in the middle of the night during the day, just this constant, I can't get away from this. Yeah. And so I'm kind of nervous. You know, we're in the car with these other men. And I remember just getting enough courage to kind of speak up and tell them that, hey, I feel God's calling me to, to preach because that's all I knew. Mm-hmm. And I remember them just celebrating. My dad was there and this just being so excited for me. And I remember the main... Um, missionary, his name was Melvin Miniter. This guy was also an old man, but he would he would get excited and run around the parking lot and just have, you know, just good good time. I remember him praying for me and just praying, you know, God would use me power, powerfully, you know, at that age. And so that was really kind of it until still serving, went to where my dad pastored, where I went to the, the school was very diverse and my dad was the pastor there. It was a Christian school so I was there for about four years, and there we didn't really have a youth pastor uh, long-term, full-time. Mm-hmm. And so we, as a youth, were just kind of like, you know, are we going to just have our five to seven consistent students, or are we going to reach our friends? And so we, as students, decided we were going to lead our own student ministry. And so I was about 14 then, and we took that student ministry up to about 40 or so on average on Wednesday nights. Mm-hmm. Had a college guy that would come in and just challenge us and play devil's advocate with certain questions. And I remember just going home being hungry to just study and to learn. Yeah. Because he was he was playing devil's advocate. So on Wednesday nights, I wanted to know what I believed. Yeah. And so that kind of segue into we left there, some toxic stuff happened. And so when I my parents went back to the church where we used to go to the migrant fields, but I had changed. My philosophy of ministry kind of changed. And so I, I ended up going to a church where most of my friends were going. Mm-hmm. 
ended up working my way into being a um, youth, uh, kind of a volunteer youth, co-youth leader. Graduated high school, was going to go to college, but couldn't afford it. And so the pastor gave me an opportunity to you know, continue in student ministry because I kind of had a heart for that. Worked my way into being a full-time youth pastor. Uh, built that student ministry. We were probably averaging on Wednesday nights about 70 when I felt Lord was moving me on to a church plant. Mm-hmm. Uh, and before that, we I saw a picture down in Ocala, Florida of church that I had never seen before. Yeah. Um, a band and set design and lights and just a very contemporary atmosphere. But the message that they were speaking was the true gospel and nothing was watered down but it was just their methodology and what they were doing and I remember sitting there saying once again you know it's not like every day you're hearing this voice but once again it was almost as if God was saying that's what I want you to do that's the picture of what I want you to do so I carried that for three years plugged in with the church plant helped in various different ways uh, over three years and then it just got to that point I still wanted to be in student ministry I had apl- uh, applied and interviewed with a church in Nashville for probably five or six interviews and they were getting ready to hire me and um, I remember just kind of Lord impressing on me if, if you go there you're going to be disobedient to my call mm-hmm. and so it was December of 2008 I contacted them said we won't be coming to Nashville um, and I started building a talk to my my pastor at the time and said this is what I feel the Lord's calling me to do so this is what we're going to do same thing with Grovetown I knew it was there. I grew up in this area my whole life, but it was like a forgotten little dot in our area. You know, it was nothing major. And I was driving through there and just saw some of the growth. And this before Cyber Command was projected to be here. It was just the military growth that had come in. And looking at the churches, you're like, all these churches can't reach all these people. (laughs) And so this is an area that needs a church. Mm -hmm. And so for that three years, that's the area that is just like, Grovetown, Grovetown, Grovetown needs a church. And so uh, we, launched, we launched in two, uh, September 13th, 2009 with 37 people, less than $15,000 to our name. We didn't have a lot of money at all. I was bivocational for working two jobs for, um, for the first five and a half years. Mm-hmm. Um, that's where I met um, Adrian at uh, the Salvation Army there. And we worked with um, the, the I, I was the substance abuse program manager there. And um, so it, it wasn't this super spiritual call of, of starting a church. That, that was kind of the specific avenue. But for me, it was being transformed by the gospel that I'd, I would be telling people about that regardless. If I was still at the Salvation Army, if I were doing something else, I would still be sharing that. You know, yeah. Just like we find a restaurant we love and we're going to tweet about it or mm-hmm. a movie. We, we're going to tell everybody, hey, you need to go see it. You know, For me... I'm going to be sharing the gospel regardless. I just believe that the that for me, God called me specifically into the the picture of the church. But I know doctors who are just as passionate about the gospel as I am, and they're just as influential teachers, coaches. So for me, my specific you know kind of piece of the pie was pastoring a church in Grovetown that needed one. Mm-hmm. Um, but for others, I think that can look like a wide range of careers and, and callings. And so, but for me, it was just living it out and then almost being faithful in the little and him giving me a little more. Faithful in that, giving me a little more, and it happened to turn into a, a church. That's, uh, that's 
pretty cool because at 12, I, but you were exposed to your purpose at right. a very young age. And I know a lot of us probably caught a glimpse of it, but we're too naive to pay attention. Right. But I, that just speaks volumes upon not just your ability as a man, but God's ability to speak to you knowing that you would pay attention, knowing that you were accepted, knowing exactly um, how you would receive it, and knowing that, yo, this is, this is what he's going to end up doing. And I know once I mention it to him, and that's, and that's the beautiful thing. I always mention to Adrian, as his children, like a parent, he knows exactly how and when to speak to us, knowing that exactly what it takes to get our attention. And it's the cool thing about that, and I forgot, I think it was in Matthew, when Jesus was, he was young, and he was, either he was healing or he was preaching, and his parents asked, right. said, what are you doing? He said, I'm, I'm going, I'm doing my father's, father's business. business. right. And like, who says that <laughs> as a kid? Right. But, well, um, and then, uh, I think it's in, you know, it's definitely in the Gospels, and yeah. even in Luke, it says he grew in, you know, wisdom and stature, and that was that time where he's going and, you know, uh, doing his father's business, you know. And... To, to actually be able to accept that and to grow. And I guess a, another follow-up question would be the way that you express your gospel, do you or express God's word, do you still keep that same boyish mentality, even though you've you've grown, but your 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 technique, do you how has it evolved throughout the years? But I know you're but I know the ground, the, the foundation is the gospel. Right. But how is it transformed? Well, yeah, transformed? and I was trained at that church to be able to go knock on the door and to share the gospel right then and there. Yeah. My The challenge with that is, is, okay, you know, you can in some ways scare people out of hell, but are they truly understanding the gospel? Yeah. You know, I want Jesus. Jesus is my great reward, my great treasure. So there was a sense of learning the scripture through that and what God's word says, mm-hmm. but was the methodology the, the best way? And so probably the best example would be when we were in Baltimore two years ago mm-hmm. and we had four guys show up to you know, play, um, play basketball um, in the, the VBS thing that we were doing and we were doing some basketball stuff. And so these were some older guys. The oldest was 28. The other guys were teenagers. And so we just sat down and we're eating breakfast together before going out and playing. And instead of, you know, just kind of, hey, if you were to die tonight, are you 100% sure you go to heaven? Yeah, I heard someone say before, what if you don't die tonight? You know, yeah. how are you going to live tomorrow? And really, the gospel is all about that as well. It's not mm-hmm. just about heaven. So I more said, hey, man, you know, when you hear the, the name Jesus, what do you, what do you think about what do you hear what you know what what thoughts come to your mind and more took it from a conversation style about jesus because that's who i want to point them to i don't want to scare them out of heaven and or hell into heaven it's all about jesus and so with that it was more of a conversation of when you hear jesus what does that what does that mean to you what do you think about because for many that is kind of that obstacle and that wall of what people have made the perception of Jesus to be. You know, you think of Westboro Baptist Church and their signs and of hate and things like that. So for somebody, it may be, hey, when you hear Jesus, they think of that. Yeah. So that's where you sometimes have to start. 
and mm-hmm. then work your way from there. And, and it's not that you always have that immediate opportunity to share the gospel. There may be some obstacles you have to work through. Maybe that they need to, to, to learn to trust you because they learn to distrust another Christian. Yeah. And so there may be some big obstacles in the way. And so I'm working with guys at the Salvation Army, we had an application that said, have you accepted Jesus as Savior? Yes or no? Well, everybody marked yes because they thought in their own mind, I need to get into this program, and that may be a prerequisite because this is the Salvation Army. So yes. Mm-hmm. Um, I even had guys who practice Islam, and we, did, we didn't keep people out because of their their religious religion or anything. Mm-hmm. It was open to everybody as long as they met certain criteria on the the recovery side of things. Yeah. So everybody would mark yes, and I had the opportunity to just sit down with them. And that really is kind of what shaped the conversation because we would have a conversation. And I'd say, hey, on the application, you said, yes, you've accepted Jesus as Savior. What does that look like? And then just to be able to listen to them and to hear where they were at, and then I could take it from there and to be able to start with maybe, for, for one guy, maybe I needed to start um, at one place and another guy may need to start at another place. Um, for one guy, salvation was I prayed that my grandma would be healed and he saved her. And so, you know, I, I believe this, that, or the other. And for another person, it's, well, I hope that I'm saved. I hope that when I'm, I, you know, stand before God, I'm good enough. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, some totally different pictures of what that asking Jesus as Savior to look like. And then some guys definitely understood and knew, and they were believers. They just had a had an addiction. And so that shaped my conversation style and understanding that, sure, you can sit down with anyone and say, hey, if you were to die tonight, and, and that's a, that, you know, that can start a conversation. But for some, there's other obstacles that you have to work through. And mm-hmm. so just kind of introducing of, hey, do you mind if I have a conversation with you about Jesus? You know, what do you think about? And so it may look different for other people, but that's just one approach. And, um, and just talk and listen and then be able to share, you know, in, interject, ask other questions. Um, it's, a, it's just being open and fluid with, with that conversation. You, you know you're trying to get them to Christ, but you don't, also don't want it to be like a project. Okay, a, you know, a check off. All right, did this, I read this verse, and I'm trying to move you down the line to this. That can work with some people, but for me, I believe that it's everybody's not in one box. Mm-hmm. And so, yes, definitely has changed me in, in many ways over the years. Um, but I still, I've seen God radically transform lives, and so I know that He can do that. And so I definitely want to introduce them, but I also don't want to, you know, it's not this, hey, you're going to be saved before you leave here today. Or, you know, I'm going to make sure of that. They may say a prayer just to get you to shut up. You know. <laughs> yeah. They um, meeting the key point that you said was meeting people where they're at. Right. And I know some modern, not to pinpoint certain um, congregations or establishments, but there are some pastors and who have this idea ideology that you need to hit people with constant conviction and they go off surface level and they go off what they see and if you have a conversation with them they'll say well what you're doing is wrong you should be doing that and I think the problem is I was listening to a um, a rapper I forgot his name 
but it was in response to another um, artist that calls himself a Christian, call, they call it CHH, CHH Christian Hip Hop. And he was calling out some other artists about being a Christian but not being labeled, not labeling themselves as Christian artists. Yeah. And he said that a lot of people are saying, man, I remember the good old days. And then he comes back and said, but the good old days for who? And it can't be a reference to where our youth is right now. This was good for when we were young. Right. But what about now? You know, what, what's, what's, what restrictions and what um, obstacles are they facing here right now in 2017? Right. And one of the, the key words you said was conversation. And I think that's what's missing uh, between um, we have the preacher and you have we have the pastor and you have the congregation and it's the one thing that's right here that needs to meet is God in conversation and it can be done effectively but like you said it's all about uh, delivery um, well Jesus said you know be quick to listen slow to speak yeah and so many times we want to be quick to speak and we're mm -hmm. not we don't listen and we may be missing a, a very you know important aspect of a person's story yeah. that we can we can maybe help show them how the gospel you know answers that but we miss it and you know i, I related it one time with church um and gave a message at one of my previous churches where you know i, I gave everybody lemons and i said now on the count of three i want you to eat that lemon and so count three ate the lemon some people loved it some people you could tell they hated it and i said this is what we're doing as the church every sunday for the most part we're saying we don't care if you like lemons we're going to give it to you anyway and so, you know, you can kind of see the light bulb click on with some people. Yeah. And I believe we're in 2017. We have to use 2017 methods, but it should be a bridge to the same message. The message doesn't change. Yeah. But how do I communicate this message? It may be different for you than it is someone else. Same message, but the entry, entry point may be completely different for you than it is for someone else. And, but I have to be willing to listen to a conversation first and listen to where someone's coming from before I even... And maybe I've walked away from people at times and just said, hey, let's continue this conversation and never got to the gospel that day. But we worked towards that over time. Yeah. Um, and so, you, once again, you have to build trust and you have to, you have to pave that way. Yeah. So. And taking time. That's what a lot of people think that nobody else has, especially living in a fast-paced... Um, time is that everything has to be immediate right. and but building relationships and and building upon the conversation does it, it the reason why it takes so much time is because you, we have built and created so many layers of distrust right. because of something that somebody else has done but um getting to that point i've learned and that's why i enjoy doing these interviews is to peel back if as long as the person that i'm interviewing is willing to remove them to let them know I'm not here to, to take anything from you. If anything, it's to learn. Right. And I think that's the problem that, and the disconnect that we all have is that we all have something to offer, but nobody's willing to listen. Right. Everybody think they're entitled to just speak something into somebody's life. Would you ever actually consider the fact that maybe they have something to offer you? Right. And you think you've been equipped with everything you need, and you no, know, you're you're still learning. You're still growing. Um, I'm gonna try to cover all this as possible I just I just always go I, I think of this as a tree and every time we go to a branch there's another 
Sure. Like leaf growing somewhere. Well, it's the same way, you know. It's, it's one 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 thing may open up to another, you know. Yeah. It's just that how however the conversation you know flows, you just follow with it. <laughs> <laughs> and eventually, it always ends up back to where it's supposed sure. to be. So, uh, I guess you may have answered this. It says, um, and I think you probably have. What is what do you feel is your your obligation as a pastor towards your community? Well, you know, I think we have a greater obligation, and that's to build God's kingdom. Yes. However, Matthew, you know, makes it very clear. Jesus says that for some, uh, that, you know, they were doing the kingdom work, they were doing the church work, prophesying in my name, telling people about me, even doing miracles. And he mm-hmm. said, yet you're not, you're not going into heaven um, because I don't know you. And then he goes further than that, and he says, uh, you know, for some, you didn't give me water, you know, you didn't give the poor water, you didn't take care of the poor, you didn't feed them, and they said, when did this happen? And he said, when, you know, you neglected the poor, you didn't give it to me, you know, yeah. the, the le- that which you do the least of these, you do unto me. And so he says, you know, there was kind of two groups of people, maybe they're the same, that would not enter into heaven because he didn't know them. And so I think there is a sense of, you know, we're as a pastor, my responsibility is not just to be focused on the church work, though that is a part of it. Mm-hmm. I believe that my first priority, one, is to my family, but two, is to preach the gospel, to model the gospel, but then nowhere in the Bible does it say that my full responsibility is to do all of the work of the church. Mm-hmm. I'm to inspire others to come along, learn their gifts and talents, to follow Jesus obediently, um, to walk by the Spirit, and then to also engage the community with the gospel. That's mm-hmm. having those one-on-one conversations, but it's also modeling it. And what people forget is there's implications of the gospel for all of us. So, you know, the gospel teaches that, you know, essentially God accepts us as we are. He doesn't say get cleaned up and then come in. Yeah. He accepts us as we are. So many Christians are trying to clean people up that aren't even Christians and saying, hey, you got to look like this, you got to do this, and we get into, you know, it's kind of that bullhorn Christian Christian mentality, and you see the signs, you know, people who commit abortion won't go to heaven, and all, you know, all this yeah. list of things, and it's like, but they don't even have a relationship with Christ, and you're wanting them to look like Christians. So we're more focused on people's morality than we are their actual soul. So we are to, the gospel says that God accepted us just like we were. He didn't say clean, get cleaned up and then come in. He said, I'll accept you as you are, but I love you too much to keep you the way you are. Yeah. And then he changes us. No pastor changed me. A Sunday school teacher didn't change me. God changed me. God has transformed my heart in some very wicked ways into ways I look back and say, I can see that progress. Mm-hmm. So because of the gospel, I can go and I can accept all people, no matter how they are, and I don't have to clean them up. It's not my responsibility to change them to do anything to, my responsibility is to love them and point them to Jesus. And so there's all these implications of the gospel, whether it's compassion, whether it's generosity, because God was generous to us in giving us his only son, Jesus, to die for our sins, um, grace and mercy and forgiveness, and, and, and that's part of the gospel. And so the implication of the gospel is I can go and I can be, give grace to the most wicked sinner. I can give them unmerited favor, give them what they don't deserve. I can be merciful towards them. I can yeah. forgive them of the of error and grave, you know, wrongdoing towards me because of the gospel. So my job as the pastor is to preach that. 
it's then to model that in my own life. You know, I can't lead anybody to somewhere I'm not. But then, as I say, now as a church, as a people, our responsibility is to go and to care for the poor because we were the poor in spirit that God cared for us. We are to, and so what happens is, is it starts in the church as far as teaching and discipling, but it actually starts in our home because as husbands and wives, we can model that towards one another. There's implications there, forgiving one another, loving one another. Mm-hmm. We model it with our, our children, you know, and, and the way we parent them, giving them grace and those type things. So it starts in the home, then it goes into our communities, you know, our families going into the community. That's why we do projects like the 127 Downtown Project and caring for the under-resourced and the, the homeless. And, the, the, you know, we support God Behind Bars with the, the prison um, ministries and those type things because he told us to take the gospel to all of those people. And so, you know, I am just a part of the congregation. My responsibility is to simply stand on the stage and lead the organization to say, hey, as a church, we're not just going to be about information, but we're going to be about transformation. So that means we take the gospel outside of these walls. This is just kind of like a cheerleading session where we're like, all right, let's go do it. And then from there, we take it into the community. We take it into our homes, our schools, our work. That So I'm just kind of the one that's to inspire that. Yeah. Um, but the church has a huge commitment to the community, and I think that's what Jesus told us. Mm-hmm. It's not about just the spiritual church religious practice. That's easy. Yeah. But it's also about going out and clothing the poor, um, feeding the hungry, giving water to those who, you know, are thirsty. Mm-hmm. And if we don't do that, it's not that works save us, but I believe that it, that doesn't make us a Christian. But if we're a true Christian, if we've been saved, then we'll go do good works. And I believe Paul said that in Ephesians 2.10. You know, we're God's workmanship created in Christ to do good works. Yeah. And so... We don't go do good works to try to say, oh, God, okay, God, are you happy with us? But because of what God's done in us, we say, hey, I want to go, I want to go take this to someone else. Yeah. And through that, our community is transformed. You know, one of the things that I think in this time, and it's definitely not as great as it has been in the past, and we've talked about this at New Passion, you know, Jesus, through the gospel, broke down walls of hostility between different nationalities and races and all. And we've used this as an illustration at New Passion where he, we talked about this even in Galatians um, in the series we're in now. And he said that we're no longer different race, we're one race, we're one family. And so, once again, that's the implication of the gospel because that's what Jesus did with all of us. We're one family now. So that's what we should be out in the community doing. That's what we should be about is um, tearing down walls and building bridges towards one another. Walls divide us, bridges unite us. And so that's an implication of the gospel. So as a church, as Christians, that's what we should be about constantly in our community, in our neighborhoods, in our workplaces, in our school. Um, And so my obligation, and that's even greater, is to the king because I answer to God. And, but, but if you look at Matthew, he says, okay, what did you do on the local level? What did you do with this yeah. gospel? Because that has heavenly implications. Um, and so I don't think those things are connected, but I have a greater sense of my community when I understand that I have a greater responsibility even to God. He's going to look at, hey, what did you do with this gospel that I gave you? Um, and I, I think that is a head, you know, that, that's a great responsibility. God's, gonna, God's looking at what we do in our community with the gospel. And so it keeps us active. 
And I guess um, this would be a, a perfect segue into this question. Um, as far as modern Christianity, the way the way we're viewed from around the world, what do you think is the primary dilemma that's causing people to neglect us? And I know it's it's all about <laughs> the best way to put it is false representation, right. because we say that this is what we are, which is um, the faith, but it lacks the works and it lacks um, genuine concern for the human being. Uh, I, I realized there was a friend of mine on, on Facebook that was talking about um, an artist that had a, he has a very, very bad past, but they overlook his gift by saying he shouldn't. It's, it's very difficult for them to acknowledge what he does very well based off what he's done in the past. And that's something that we quit to do is judge people by who they are and what they've done opposed to their potential. Right. And I guess that's that's the beautiful thing that I've learned about about God is he never sees me. He always sees me as my greatest potential. And that's and I think that's one that's what I personally believe that a lot of um, a lot of us fail to do. But the what do you think is like your mentality on Christianity as a whole and the direction that it's going. Why do you, how do you feel about that? Well if you you know if you look at scripture you'll see that, you know, through history as it's created, there will be even more a falling away. Yeah. Uh, I believe that what you see in probably these times and you hear of the decline of the church and so on and so forth. Mm -hmm. Well, the reality is is that a lot of that is kind of coattail Christianity. Mm -hmm. And so you have a lot of professing Christians, you know, over, I think at one point, 80, 85% of the United States profess to be Christians. Well, we know, you know, Jesus even said that the, the road to life is narrow. The road to destruction is wide. Mm -hmm. uh, and so chances are that's not accurate. That's not true. So I think in some ways, though, it may seem depressing to some, if you really understand that, as you know, Jesus pointed out in Matthew, that there will be some who even prophesied and they did miracles who will, he'll say, I didn't know you. So it's not that religion. And so I think one of the challenging things, and that's from the founding of the, the, the Christian faith, is that kind of that legalism of trying to put, the, put law on people and so you've got people who maybe have a bad past, uh, an artist or what have you, and now they're trying to transform, they're trying to change. And this is what I say on internet forums. Oh, but did you see this? Did yeah. you see he did this or he said this or he's still getting drunk or cussing people out? Well, yeah, he's a baby Christian. You know, he's, he's trying. And so instead of trying to, like, pray for him and lift him up and encourage him and say, hey, that's okay because, you know what, I thought this the other day and I'm just as bad. Yeah. We put this weight of you should be, like, the Pope now. You know, you should be like Billy Graham because you profess to be a Christian. Yeah. And so that divides. And then what happens is then there's another group who comes along to defend that person, rightfully so. Mm -hmm. And so it's like this civil war within the, the church and Christianity 
you know, those who are trying to put the law and rules on people, and then those who are saying, hey, give them grace, give them mercy. And so then they're out with each other. But then we're asking people to join the church and to become a Christian, and people in the world are looking out and saying, that's not my fight. I don't want to make it my fight, and so I don't want any part of this. You can't even get along, you know. Yeah. And there's a there's a place for debate. There's a place for, you know, the truth of, you know, don't put that obligation on them. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think the Internet has really shown true colors for a lot of Christians. But in the same sense, just because they're putting legalism on people, you don't want to say, well, they're not a Christian. Because yeah. now you're saying, you know, in their struggle, they're not good enough to be a Christian. And so... It's 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 a weird time, but I don't think it's any more challenging than what we've had in other cultures that, or or time, I wouldn't say cultures though other cultures Christianity does look different. Mm-hmm. Other countries and other places, um, I would say different eras, you know, different decades, different centuries. You know, there's always been challenges. Mm-hmm. In the fifties, you know, it was Elvis and how yeah. that was horrible and then the church you know rejecting certain things so there's always kind of that mm-hmm. um and so it's hard to pinpoint and i wouldn't want to like paint all of christianity with a broad brush mm-hmm. but i would say because i've seen some great things happen i mean you know the church is advancing in asia like rapidly you know and so i think in america you're just seeing some falling away i think yeah. you're seeing true christians st- going forward um not perfectly, mm-hmm. but going forward. And then I think you see some who are falling away because they were riding grandma's coattails. Well, grandma's passed away now many years, and Christianity is not becoming all that they want it yeah. to be or thought it would be. And so it's hard to pinpoint you know, exactly what it is, but I think it's just, um, I think it is a falling away, but I also believe, you know, I, Paul said in Philippians 1 um, that there were some who were preaching the gospel for the right motives and then those there were some who were preaching it for selfish motil, motives or even rivalry against him to try to he was in prison to make his chains tighter so there were people who were preaching it with the wrong motivations and he sat back and he said no matter I will rejoice because Jesus is being preached and yeah. so even when there's this tension and even when there's a you know, kind of a division and a falling way and some difficult times, as long as Jesus is being preached, Christ crucified, you know, on our behalf, um, buried, risen, you know, we can find reason to rejoice. Mm-hmm. And, um, and so I think it's where we have to say, I can't worry about what this person's doing. I have to be different. I have to do different. Yeah. Um, as much because we just add to the noise if we get online and we become a keyboard warrior to try to tamp down what another person's doing. Yeah. All I can do is live different to show you different so that you can learn to trust that that's not Christianity. Um, and once again, it starts small, but it goes globally. And we have the opportunity to kind of say, hey, look at what this, this group's doing. Look what this group's doing. Mm-hmm. Um, and so... It's hard to pinpoint, but like I said, I think some of it is just a natural falling away because it was never true to begin with. Yeah. Um, it was just a, hey, I'm a Christian because that's what, you know, I grew up going to church and my grandma told me, my mom told me I'm a Christian. And yet there was no really profession of faith in Christ and that transforming power of the Holy Spirit living in a person. Um, and you hate it because you're kind of like, hey, you know, 
I got a friend over here who wants nothing to do with God because of people like that. Yeah. Well, the best witness to that friend is you being different than what they've witnessed and what they've seen. Um, it's funny you mentioned it about holding on to that which our parents and uh, our elders have uh, established. Because when you're young, it's like you ha I have no choice but to to go to church and and do what's expected. Because um, my faith originated from my mom. Um, because I always commend her on every single morning, never fails. She she spends time with God and she prays, and that's how she starts her day. She's been doing that for as long as I can remember. And I was like, okay, well, this 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 has to be there has to be some solidity in this if my mom has been continuously doing this and this is the reason why we my sisters and I have become uh, the way that we are based off mom's consistent uh, relationship that she had with God right. when I got to college because at this point I knew what God was but it wasn't until I was on my by myself dealing with my own um, problems that I began to learn who he was because I started noticing how he would speak to me and it's like you said I was just holding on to what my mom had taught me you know precariously through her life but it wasn't until I found myself back in the corner when I realized I want I want what my mom had because there were times where she was struggling she was crying and things was just rough but she always turned to him and even when I Thanked her for everything she done. I said, "No, no, no I yeah, thank God. I, I did. I couldn't do it by myself." Right. And as men, we get to that point where we think that we can. But it, the best I've learned that the best thing to do is to admit that we have no control. And uh, segue to, segue into no control. Then um, this is probably the last thing I ask you because sure. it's very very interesting. Your role as a father and how you see your kids. In reference to your purpose and what God is leading you to do, how is that parenting and what is it that you want as a parent for your kids as far as their future? Well, the parenting as a whole is, you know, challenging. Yeah. And so, you know, um, once again, I think every generation um, has challenges. And so a lot of people, you know, they're, each one presents unique challenges um, mm. that you have to kind of raise your family through. And I'm of the I'm of the belief that for such a time as this, yeah. so I believe that God allowed me to be a parent during this generation with the kids that I have because He has equipped me to be able to to, to parent them mm. in this time. Or He will equip me. You know, I have to be willing to be uh, teachable. And, and to learn, uh, you know, one of the things I'm doing as a pastor, which will also help me as a father and as a husband, is I just signed up for a, a coaching network. Yeah. And, you know, with the way that I've just kind of come up and little education and different things, I'm like, I need this. You know, I, I encourage people to read books and to come to church and to be coached and pastored and all that, but I need that. And so this coaching session I'm going to be a part of is essentially about pers personal leadership, leading myself, and uh, personal health, uh, spiritual health, um, scheduling, and things like that. And so I just got to a point 
where I could have had a coach for various different things within the church. And I said, I need that. Like, I need to learn how to lead myself well. Because if I'm not well and if I'm not leading myself well, it's hard for me to lead my family well. Yeah. And so for my children, I want them to pursue their passion. Um, at New Passion, we do a thing called Shape, you know, and we tr- we want people not just to plug into a hole. Although sometimes because we're small, it's kind of like, hey, we just gotta we just gotta fill this hole. Mm-hmm. But um, for the most part, I want people to do what they're passionate about, what they love, because then it's not work and they enjoy doing it. They're gonna pour all of themselves into it. So each of my children are different. Um, Gavin loves football right now, so we do all we can to help him be successful in that. Um, Tristan loves basketball, and so that's what he pour. You know, he he loves doing. And then Haley, she's kind of our eclectic. She I call her my punky Brewster, and she's just. And so right now she's younger, and she's kind of finding her way. And mm-hmm. um, but we want to support them, and so we we try not to be overly strict. You know, I grew up in very strict legalistic type environments mm-hmm. and so I understand what it's like to be too, have too tight of reins you just want to break loose of those mm-hmm. so we're trying our best to parent in a in a not so strict way that we have rules and we, we, we guide and direct but we try to set some guardrails in of some expected expectations but in that we try to li- give them the freedom that Christ gives us to, to live and to um, and so we do that, and then if they get outside of those guardrails, then we help them get back in line. Um, and so we'll do things like if, if, if they do wrong, we'll, I'll, I'll give them Bible verses to write. I believe if you put Scripture in, it pushes the, the wickedness out. Yeah. And so they're not perfect by any means, but we, we also, we, you know, we're, we're trying to guide them and not dictate to them. Um, we're trying to lead them in the right direction and then also trusting that they have the Holy Spirit to get them, you know, to where they should go. We know that they're not going to be perfect. We know that they're going to they're going to fail. And so we want to have enough of an open, honest relationship with them that they know that they can come to us and it's not going to be, hey, we're going to beat you up and we're going to kick you out. And we're going to, you know, we need them to be honest with us. We need them. But the other is, and that's why we love the local church. You know, Gavin's in student ministry now. Tristan's about to be. And so they have youth leaders that help them. And I'm a firm believer in having other voices in your children's lives. See, it's not yeah. just us, because there are going to be times they don't want to talk to us. Yeah. So, it, you know, if, if they feel comfortable with Calvin, I w- I'm okay with that. You know, if, if there's someone who I know is going to lead them well, and they're struggling with something, there's, there's temptations, and they know they can come talk to Calvin, or they can go talk to Ryan, or they can, then I'm cool with that, because I know that the, you know, they're going to be pointed in the right direction. So even when I'm not present, there's spiritual, solid voices in their life that will point them towards Christ yeah. and and point them in the right direction. And so sometimes it's just having people that will reinforce what you're talking about. Um, because as parents, you're like, I've been saying that all along, and then all of a sudden they, you know, they're they're all gung ho about this. I've been saying it, but it just took somebody else to say it yeah. because it's expected from parents. But when they learn to respect someone else, then it's kind of like, oh, you know, Ryan's cool. So, uh, I, you know, if he said it, I'm going to, okay, that's what I'm going to focus on. So it, it's not being so, oh, it's got to be me. And I know there's parents like that. It's like yeah. no other influence except for me. And I, I'm, I'm not going to criticize anybody other, uh, else's parenting. For me, I believe it's got to be different. 
Um, there's got to be other voices, trusted, godly voices in their life. And so we try to surround them with the right people. Um, we're, we're not, you know, we're not going to send them out with friends that we know are doing wrong, but we also don't play the avoid them game. We yeah. believe that the that one of the biggest mission fields that they have is their football team, is their school, um, you know. And so in that, when other influences kind of come in that we know is not good for them or that's going to pull them away, we use that as a teaching opportunity. Say, hey, is that the best, music? you know, is that the best, you know, way to be talking? Is that the best? And, and you know, as a... And, and even talking like with my oldest son, hey, you're going to be looking for a job soon. Are you going to go sit in front of a boss and talk like that or what have you? And so using those as trying to teach them for the future, not just now. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it's a challenge. It's a constant learning thing. The best advice I could give any parent, any dad, any mom is to be teachable. Read, watch videos, you know, talk to other parents, people who are empty nesters. Mm-hmm. Hey, what did you do? How did you handle this? Kind of like that coaching network. Yeah. Um, let other people coach you. Let other people be voices into your life because um, it's a con- you know, it's it's a constant learning, constantly fluid situation. And no two children are the same, and no family's the same. But if you can find people who have experienced some of the similar avenues in life, then you can glean from that and learn some, you know, I think some some wisdom and some good things in that. Cool. Well. Um... Thank you for your time again. Thank you. I'm really looking forward to actually listening to this myself. Um, I always find it interesting to talk to someone who's actually living in their purpose. Because like you said, you put everything into not only just what you're doing, but you're putting everything into God and you allow him to work through you and you just become the living vessel, which I think is totally awesome because for me whenever I because I love writing I've always loved writing and I wanted to step outside of the box and be looked at as a brother or a son or somebody who who loves music somebody who loves running but I'm starting to learn the older I get that this is this is the the ability that he gave me this is the fire that he's adding wood to and that wood is his word that wood is his love and his promise and i see that and this is a personally for me i've seen it every time that i i go to service is that you don't speak to tell people you're going to hell or that you should avoid it you speak to say you should develop a a really concrete relationship with god because that's all he wants and I think that's the misconception a lot of us have is that he's only a parent. He's only on the outside. No, no, no. He, he did what he did out of love. Right. And I was, I was talking to uh, Asian about um, the, the verse, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. And I was th- telling her, I said, if you think about that verse structurally, he said, number one, for God so loved the world. Then second, he gave his only begotten son. So in that sense, we were his primary focus. And he was saying that I sent my son so that I can have a better relationship with you. And I didn't understand that until I gotten older. But it was because through experience. But that's something that you constantly reiterate through every uh, series, through every uh, sermon. 
And me personally, I highly appreciate that because I needed that that consistent truth. And like you said, that's you 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 give you give us the the foundation. You give us uh, that which is concrete, and you say, now this is how you can apply it to your life. And you always start with the source. And I always highly appreciate that well, as somebody that that takes in what you what you dish out. Well, thank you. I appreciate it. No, no problem. Um, if you all have any more concerns or questions for uh, Nick, um, I can shoot you um, his. You can actually look him up on Facebook. Uh, you can find him on Instagram. Are you on Twitter? Twitter, yep. On Twitter as well. Um, if you actually want to attend one of his services, uh, service starts 1030 every Sunday in uh, Grovetown. Uh, I can actually end up sharing the actual address um, if you're interested in uh, in attending. Um, it's an awesome experience if you haven't been there already. Uh, you can actually have a great sense of community once you step in and start shaking hands with people. Uh, that's one thing that I really admire is um, meeting like uh, John. He's a really cool guy. Yeah. Uh, didn't know he uh, knew sign language. And that was so cool because he was talking to me and Adrian, and he started signing, and I was, and I was would have never known that. So uh, you meet all kinds of people in your congregation, and um, one I will have to say this one last thing: you all have the best Facebook advertising I've ever seen in my life. Yeah. To have, because the first thing you see is this person covered in tattoos, yeah. and you're basically saying, "Come as you are," and because everybody there's a lot. I've been in the, I went to a church once that, uh, and I understood why. I had wore a fedora but the first thing they said is take your head off and i guess they just at that moment i know they have certain standards that you need to abide by and that's that's understandable um but coming to your church it's very contemporary uh very um acceptable and very open um like you said everybody comes in with different problems different situations but you give them god's gospel and what you say you put in the good hoping that it filters out the bad. Right. And uh, one thing that I realized that Jesus said a lot was that when he he said, I am the truth, I am the light, you can't say that you don't know because right. I'm here. And that's what you do as a pastor. You you do your job to say this is the truth. It's very, if you want to be very uh, particular about it, you can't say you don't know because I'm giving it to you. And I love the fact that you include yourself in the in the uh, congregation, opposed to saying you have to listen to me. This is the only way you're gonna get in touch with God, and I I am the way to the way, and that's not true. <laughs> no, that's not, not true. <laughs> that's not true. So uh, again, thank you for your time. Yes, yeah, no actually went over a little bit more than we expected, but uh, it's well worth it. Thank you all again for tuning in for episode eight of the glory in our stories again this is calvin pennywell jr uh, interviewing uh, pastor nick carnes